0: And that's why we don't do trust falls at church anymore, people. (sighs) All right, so today, I would like to talk about this idea, this word of trust. I think trust is kind of one of those funny words where it's, oh, I think I broke that. (laughs) I told you all, it's going downhill, I mean. (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Um, You know, it's one of those words that we use a lot. And, you know, it's, it's one of those where we use a lot, but maybe we don't always think about what it really means, right? You know, it's like, like other words we use a lot that don't always think about, like, like the word travesty, right? We use the word travesty, like, for example, it's sure is a real travesty that the Steelers are allowed to play in the NFL, right? Like, that's the way that we typically use that one. Or the word literally, like if you ask my sister, she uses the word literally all the time. Like, I literally cannot believe the Steelers are allowed to play in the NFL, don't, You laugh, Bengals folks, I'm coming for you next. It's coming, right? So today we're gonna talk about this idea and just unpack this idea of trust. And I'll be honest, I'm not probably gonna say as much as I'm going to ask. I'm gonna hopefully propose some questions to help us reflect and think and, and dig a little deeper internally. Um, but before that, uh, before I get started, for those I don't know, my name's John. Uh, my wife and I have been coming here to BACC for, I think, actually coming on five years now. It's almost our five year anniversary. Um, as well as our five boys. Every, I, hear, I either get cheers or like sighs or terror, like whenever I get that. I mean, I was thinking about it, and it's like statistically, if you see an adolescent male out there, statistically, it's likely mine, right? <laughs> So just send them my way, because if they're not mine, when I'm not hanging out with my boys, I am uh, usually volunteering with our kids um, in the uh, older boys' classroom. So that's usually where I'm hanging out. Uh, So when you have your boys that get sent home, and they're full of energy and pumped up and, you know, crammed full of sugar and all that stuff, that was Hannah. (laughs) I have no I plead the fifth. They were perfectly quiet for me. (laughs) These folks know me. (laughs) All right, so to get started, we're, we're going to talk through uh, our scripture today out of Psalm 20, which is a fun psalm because it's a nice, compact little one, and we'll go through the whole thing. But before we get started, let's, let's take a quick moment to pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we get to share together, where we get to open up your word and, and hear your words. And I ask that that's exactly what you would do today, is that we would hear your words uh, above and beyond anything else, please come and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Amen. All right. All right, so let's just go ahead and dig into the Psalm. Now, like I said, the nice thing about Psalm 20 is it's pretty short, so we can just read through the whole thing. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack those open. We'll have them up on the screen here behind me as well. But Psalm 20 says this, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power Of his right hand some trust in chariots and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god they are brought to their knees and fall but we rise up and stand firm lord give victory to the king answer us when we call amen now just for a little real quick bit of historical context a lot of the smart bible scholarly guys Uh, They say that this is what they would call like a royal psalm, uh, which just is a fancy way of saying that this was a prayer or a song or something that we shared probably before um, likely the king or someone in charge would go off to some big exploit. They'd be going either to battle or they would be going to uh, maybe conquer something or going on some big thing. And most scholars attribute this psalm to David, to King David. Now, it's really broken into two major sections. So we'll spend a little bit of time on the first one and then a little bit more time on the second section. Now, the first section, you'll notice, has a a series of blessings, right? May this, may this, may this, right? Um, And I want you to pay attention because I think we all uh, probably agree, I I don't think anything in the scriptures is accidental or coincidental. Like, the words are there for a reason. Um, And when you look at that first section, did you notice... All the language, even though this is about going off on some exploit, all the language is this deep spiritual language. Words like um, sacrifice and uh, sanctuary and offerings and uh, Zion. Like, these are very religious terms. These are spiritual terms, not physical kingdom terms. And I think that that's a really important point. Just out of the gate, right, is David, likely the guy that's writing this, you know, he's praying on kind of a different plane, right? He's not talking even about, I mean, you don't even know what he's talking about doing when you think about it, right? In this psalm, we have no idea what he's about to do, but he's talking from this very spiritual plane. I think that's an important thing for us to remember because all of us go through physical things, right? We have jobs and we have families and we volunteer and we come here and we have um, investments of our time and our money and our resources. We have stuff we gotta do. All of us have stuff we do every day. I think the point of this first section is to remind us that we are part of something bigger, that we're not part directly of an earthly lineage or kingdom, but we are most importantly part of a spiritual lineage and kingdom. You know, later on in 1 Peter, he talks about how we're part of that spiritual kingdom more than any nationality or state or political system. In 1 Peter, uh, the apostle Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just take a moment to reflect on that because what Peter's saying is, our identity is one that is inherently of somewhere else. More than... American or Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or white or black or Asian or anything else, you are part of a spiritual ancestry and lineage. You've been grafted in if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean those things aren't important. Those things are are vitally important parts of our heritage, and we honor those things. But this first section of Psalm 20 reminds us that we're part of something deeper, something more eternal, something with a little more oomph to it that it transcends any other demographic or any other characteristic. And we're reminded, just like David did, to pray for blessings for our leaders. Paul says that later on in Romans. So we're reminded, we pray for blessings for our leaders, for even our political leaders. But we don't pray for them through the lens of success for us or what I want or what I think is the right political decision on any given time. What we're actually called to do is pray for God's kingdom, success of God's kingdom. Things like unity and peace, things like that, in the physical world that we live in. And I just think this first section is a good reminder to reframe our perspective for a longer-term view, an eternal point of view, because we know earthly kingdoms are going to pass away, but God's kingdom will endure forever. Amen. And so that sets the bedrock to me, the foundation for the second part of the psalm, which is where we'll spend a little bit more time. This recognition, this reminder that we are part of something bigger. You are part of a spiritual lineage. That sets this foundation to springboard into, okay, well, if that's true, what does trust mean for somebody that is part of a spiritual lineage? So let's kind of hone in on that for a little bit. So I want to go back, if you you still have your scriptures open. um, It's not going to be on the screen. I'll just read it to you. That verse seven, that one little verse right there towards the end there. And it says, Now, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, that just simple, short sentence to me brings up a really powerful question, and it really just comes down to this. Where do I put my trust really, right? I mean, think about it for a second. Um, You know, think about the situation the Israelites often found themselves in. Um, They were often attacked or invaded by repeatedly through by different kingdoms throughout uh, the history of Israel. Um, and so if you are being repeatedly attacked and invaded or attempted to be invaded again and again, I'm not sure that was grammatically correct, but go with me there. Um, weapons are a big deal, right? I mean, you need stuff to defend yourself. And so at the time, I mean, chariots were the most sophisticated and useful tools of battle. They were the, the tanks and missiles of the day. So, you know, a horse was a valuable tool. I mean, there were times throughout Israel's and other kingdoms' history where they would feed the horses before they would feed the people. Because the horse could help me win a battle and possibly be what prevents me from pre- becoming a slave or even losing my own life, right? So it, it, it's... It makes sense that Israel would put their trust in horses or chariots or any other kingdom would. I mean, this could be what turns the tide of battle. Well, this could be what determines the rest of my life or the history of my nation. So what does it say about David's heart and really our hearts when we say, I intentionally will not trust in the things that I can see, even when the rest of the world does. I will consciously choose to trust in a God I can't see, not just on Sunday and not just on a prayer meeting or not just for someone else's healing, but when my own life is on the line. You know, this brings up some really tough but important questions for all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, how do we respond? How do I respond when things go great? I, uh, I get a promotion, get a bonus. Uh, I get the house I always wanted. Uh, the Bengals actually win a game even though half their roster is injured right? I just got to poke the bear. I can't help it. I mean, Andy's not here. I mean, come on. But also on the flip side, how do you respond when you get squeezed, right? When you get that bill you weren't expecting, the doctor's report that you weren't hoping for, you get passed up on the job you knew you were the best candidate for, uh, your car breaks down and you don't have... The finances to cover it. I mean, how do we respond? You know, where do we spend our time? You know, we as relatively affluent Americans, and by the way, if you are in this country, you are likely more wealthy than um, all, about 98% of the rest of the world, okay? So how do you spend your time? Time's one of the resources we have, time and money. You know, do you spend hours, tracking your portfolio multiple times a day, just trying to see if something changed possibly? Is there some sort of incremental uptick in my portfolio? Do I scroll social media for hours upon hours upon hours to see where I stand in the social hierarchy of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that? Um, Do I spend hours following the news cycle and trying to figure out, you know, what's the latest news, you know, phenomenon that's going on? You know, none of those things are bad or wrong in and of themselves, right? But if that's the place we allocate our effort, our energy, our time, our resources, it can possibly say something about what's important to us, right? You know, for me, it's kind of hard to separate the idea of trust from some of these other things we talk about, like faith and hope and love. They all kind of intertwine together, right? You start talking about trust, and you're naturally going to talk about faith, and then you start talking about faith, you're talking about hope, and they all kind of blend in together. It's kind of like a, like a rope, like a rope that's, t- you know, tied up and twisted together. Um, but I think what's unique a little bit about trust, this idea of trust, is it's inherently relational, right? Like trust inherently has to have something outside of me, ideally, to trust in. Like I am trusting in the fact that this stage is hopefully not going to collapse under me right now because, boy, that would be awkward, right? Um, but we can trust in another person, right, or not. Uh, we can trust that I'm going to receive a paycheck on Friday. We, like, we put our trust in something else. It's relational. And to me, it, what it really boils down to is being confident and assured not only in the outcomes of a circumstance, but in the character of the one in control of the outcomes. You know, trusting God is arguably, I would say, probably one of the most challenging but life-giving things that we will ever do in our walk with him, learning to trust him, right? You know, it's one of the only emotions that we actually have some sort of conscious control over. I mean, most emotions uh, in in most circumstances are reactions. So somebody cut you off on the highway, and then you feel frustrated, right? You feel it as a reaction to what some some other thing that happened. Um, you feel happy when uh, you know you get some really cool Christmas gift instead of getting like a dustbuster on Christmas morning. God, do not do that. I 'm just <laughs> right. But like gratitude, gratitude's another one of those emotions. Trust and gratitude, they're things that you can consciously choose to build. Like I can choose to trust, or I can at least walk and make intentional actions and efforts to grow my trust. And really what it says is this, when you grow your trust, you choose to trust. It says that not only do you believe that God is in control, you believe that he is good, that his motives are good. That his intents for you are good. That he is in your corner no matter what. That he cares for you. That he knows you better than anyone ever has or ever could, including yourself. And that he loves every single bit of you. That his plans for you and for me and this world are right and just and infused with love. That's what trust means to me. And it's important to remember that the character, the character of the one that is in control is one that cares. He cares. In Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about the Father, I mean, this is Jesus. He is the representation of God. He is God, right? And he's talking about the Father. He says, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. I think in the message translation, uh, Eugene Peterson translates translates it as, if God cares for wildflowers, many of which will never be seen by anyone, how much more does he care for you? And that's it, he cares. Our trust is in his character in the fact that he cares for us. And what this to me means is, There's a big difference for followers of Jesus between living in expectations and living in expectancy. Living in expectations means I have this idea of what I want or desire or demand or expect of God. It's looking at at our walk with Jesus something like a formula, right? Like A plus B equals C. If I do this and this and this, this will be the outcome I will receive. And it can often lead to a lot of frustration with people as they walk with Jesus. Because expectancy, what we're actually called into, is this idea that I trust God because of his character, because he is love itself and because he is good. And so even if things don't go the way I want, I know that because of his character, there's more to the story. And oftentimes for us as followers of Jesus, let's be honest, it may look like doing something really risky, Something that seems ridiculous. Something that seems unconventional or even flat out dumb in the world's eyes. You know, we've got story after story of story after this in the scriptures of people that did things that sound pretty dumb and they were walks of trust, right? Think about Noah building a giant boat in the desert. I mean, building a giant boat is one thing. Building a giant boat in the middle of the desert? Really? That doesn't make any sense at all. Or let's take Abraham and Isaac, right? If you think about it, you know, you have the story of Abraham and Isaac and y'all know the story, right? So Abraham was wicked old and Sarah was just shy of wicked old. And God says, you're gonna have a baby. And they're like, you're nuts. And he says, no, really, trust me, it's gonna happen. And then it happens, right? And then later on, he says, now I need you to give that baby back to me, right? That's crazy. Right, But that was a walk of trust. He did and trusted God in a way that seems ridiculous. It's interesting, though, because it does give me a little extra hope, because when you see Abraham and you see the journey of his life, I mean, contrast his experience with Isaac and Sarah with Hagar and Ishmael, where he tried to kind of take things into his own hands. Didn't work out well. Another story, King Asa. Maybe one we don't talk about as often as like King David or Solomon. King Asa was a little bit after those guys right? And uh, early in his um, kingship, in his reign as king, uh, they, the, he was the king of Judah. So the, uh, Israel and Judah had already split. He was the king of Judah. And uh, they were going to be attacked by the Kushites, Those were a group of people in northern Africa. Um, and it was basically just like completely going to be a bloodbath, right? I mean, they were outgunned, outmatched, They were, you know, it talks about language like they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore, which is just a really fancy way of saying you're screwed. Like it is not going to end well for you. And so King Asa prays and and listen to this prayer. I mean, this is just gold. He says, then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, for we rely on you. And in your name, we've come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. I mean, that is a prayer of trust if I've ever heard one, right? And it actually worked out in their favor. God intervened, the Israelites completely were saved in a miraculously incredible way. And he made some incredible reforms throughout his reign as king. Interestingly, later on, when he's being attacked by Israel, the king to the north, he kind of didn't rely on his trust the way he did when he was a young king. He ended up trying to take some money, basically contracting with another king and his army to try to fight Israel, you know, try to take things into his own hands, and they lost. Didn't work out well. Or one more example, let's look at Israel when uh, they were being besieged by uh, the Assyrians and then later the Babylonians, right? So one of the folks that they ironically, I'll say, would often go to for help was Egypt. Egypt was pretty rich, so I get it, right? But it's like, remember, those were the guys that, you know, Had you as slaves just a little while ago. But okay, no, cool. We'll just pretend like that didn't happen. Let's go to those guys for help. And so when they're being attacked and invaded, you know, Isaiah gets a prophecy from the Lord, and and this is what he says. Pay attention to what they cite out here. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel Or seek help from the Lord. But the Egyptians are mere mortals and not God. The horses are flesh and not spirit. So we see this contrast, right, as followers of Jesus between trusting in a God we can't see because he is good and right and righteous and his character is for us versus trying to take matters into our own hands. Because isn't that exhausting a little bit? You know, for me, um, one of the things that I find is maybe a helpful exercise is to reflect on um, where I spend my time and money and resources, right? As an affluent American, that can be reflective of what's important to me. Um, It can speak a little bit to what I value and and maybe what I even put my trust in, to be honest. Um, So we're gonna do a little exercise, right? So just play around, (laughs) humor me, play along, okay? Uh, So you'll notice on your chair and the chair for you, there's a little postcard, little uh, note note card thing, right? Those little three by five guys. So go ahead and take that thing out. And what I want you to think about is this. We're going to do a little exercise together. And what I want you to think about are how we feel, how we would respond, how we um, emotionally react. If you would imagine any of these things were gone tomorrow. So you wake up tomorrow and any of these things are gone, okay? Now, we're going to put family and relationships to the, sh- to the side. We're not talking about your spouse or your parents or your kids or anybody. Like, we're not going to talk about people. We're going to talk about some other stuff. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ha- read through these things, and then I'm going to give us a nice, awkward amount of silence just to the point where everybody gets really uncomfortable and you wonder if I'm, like, having an aneurysm or, like, passed out up here, okay? That'll be my signal, now, um, it's going to be quiet. Now, here's what I really would encourage you to do. Take a minute, reflect on how you feel for each one of these, okay? And just note the emotion. Note where your mind might go to some what-ifs, right? Like, well, if that's gone, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Like, where does your mind race maybe a little bit? And just take some notes, okay? This is personal. I'm not going to read it. No one else is going to read it. And just take a moment to reflect and, and see what God might be saying to you, Okay? Here we go. How would you feel if any of these were gone tomorrow? Your retirement or 401k or you know, pension. Your savings account gone. Your house. Your house was gone tomorrow. Your job. How about your political party? It's gone. Your abilities maybe talents, or even physical ability. Your physical body can no longer do what it could do the day before. Your reputation. Someone slanders you. Someone speaks ill of who you are. And I'll add another one here. Um, Maybe your safety and security, your political, national safety and security. Just take a moment, just think about those. Those are just a handful, but just think about if any of those were gone tomorrow. want you to think about is what is the emotion you feel with those? Do any of those pull an emotion out of it? And here's the point: this isn't to feel a sense of, and, and please don't get, hear me wrong here. This is not to feel shame or guilt. So please do not feel shame or guilt. Right? I know that's kind. Of, that might be kind of hard for some of us, myself included, at times. And when I say don't feel shame, you're like that's like somebody being like, hey, don't think about cookies right now. You're like, well, now all I can think about is cookies. Like, what? Seriously? but try to suspend that for a second. And and I want you to think about this deeper question with any one of those that brought up any sort of emotion or what ifs or feeling. The deeper question being this, what is it about you, God, that I don't fully trust or know yet or that I'm trying to fulfill with X? What is my deeper desire here? Is it for belonging, for affirmation, for love? Acceptance, security, safety. What is the thing I really want that this thing might be, I might be trying to satisfy with this thing? Because that's where it really comes down to. Because that's where I think God wants us to be, is not feeling guilt or shame over these things. In the scriptures, later on in Matthew, Jesus says, God knows you need all these things. He knows you need clothes and food and houses and all that stuff. He knows you need that. But seek first his kingdom. Seek his heart, right? That's what he really wants. He wants us to ask this question. God, if if there's something I'm struggling here with, if I'm anxious or nervous or afraid or worried, I think he's encouraging us not to feel shame over it, but to say, what is it about you? I'm not fully trusting yet. And I want you to really pay attention to that last little bit of yet, right? Because God is always at work in all of us. You know, it opens up a couple other fun questions to reflect on. I told you I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of questions today. I'm not really going to actually say anything of any real value. Just questions all day long. You know, here's another good question for you. Like, how do you define success, really? I'll be honest, I didn't make that one up. I stole it from Andy. And he asked that question of me, and I thought, you know, that's funny. No one's ever asked me that question. I mean, we do it at work and such all the time. We all do, you know, objectives and goals and plans, and we make up all these things about how we define success in, say, our jobs or or our sports teams or our little league teams. We know what success looks like there, but as an individual or even as a follower of Jesus, it's an interesting question, isn't it, to reflect on. How do I define, what does success actually look like? What does it look like? Because I'll tell you, a lot of times the ways that God defines success are not the same way I define success, right? I mean, even when Jesus was on earth, he said success is looking like me going to the cross and dying and even Peter himself said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's, whoa, there was a line and you, you're over here now, buddy. Now, he said, no, that's, that's, he even said, get behind me, Satan, right? Like that's, you have the thoughts of men, not the thoughts of God. Another question, how do you feel your free time? I know it seems kind of superficial and silly, right? But like, how do you feel your free time? Do we feel it full of distractions, right? Things to like take me and distract me from the situation, the people possibly right in front of me? Do I fill it with things that are just trying to like keep me kind of comfortably numb and not paying attention? Um, or am I actually focused on the thing in front of me? Or even if you, and this is kind of a weird one maybe, but if you look at the kingdom, through the lens of investment, we like to use that language here, like investment, right? Where Jesus said, "Where you where you put your treasure, investment, your heart would be also." You know what what do our investments look like, right? Are we investing in the kingdom? Again, this isn't to feel any sense of guilt or shame, but it's a good reflection. I think that's important for us as followers of Jesus. You know, um, as Janice was praying, as Craig was praying, you know, we're talking about like just how daggone busy stuff gets right now, right? Especially this time of year. Anybody feel busy, right? Quick show of hands. The rest of you are lying. I know it, right? We're all feeling really crazy busy right now. Um, and so when we're feeling busy, it, it gets tempting just to go, 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 go and not spend that time to slow down, to be silent, to reflect. And so I encourage you to, to reflect right now on what your answer to some of those questions might be. Reflect on places where you, you might be asking God, how do, I, how do I trust you in this thing? I don't know how to trust you right now. Can you help me trust you? What is it about you I'm not fully trusting yet? Or here's another good one. How do you respond when you feel anxious? That, one, that one's pretty convicting for me. How do you respond when you feel anxious or overwhelmed or worried, scared? We all get scared. You know, These are all questions as we think about this idea of trust, of putting our trust in the name of the Lord, as the psalm said, putting our trust in the name of the Lord, not in horses or chariots. So you've got to think about what does a horse or chariot mean to you? Because it's going to be different for every one of us, right? What your horses and chariots are. You know, could it be maybe our savings account, our stuff? Could it be our abilities and talents? Could it be maybe your reputation? Could it be this you, your job, like your identity as your job? Any of these could be horses and chariots, right? And we have to constantly remind ourselves and be reminded by the scriptures to put our trust in the Lord, not in the horses in the chariots in our life. So let's talk about, What's some next steps? What, what could you possibly do from, uh, from some of the things that this rambling madman up front has shared with you today? Well, first, I would say, if you don't know Jesus as the provider, the caretaker, the one you can trust in to, make, uh, to, to take care of you, to help you, to fulfill you, to provide for you, to guide you in the plan for your life, I'd say, today's a great day. Today's a great day to make this the first day that you know Jesus says that one. And for all of us, um, if you picked up those communion elements on the way in today, uh, this is a great time to reflect together on the fact that we are now part of a group kingdom, part of a place where we can trust God together. So, if you would, go ahead and open up your communion Stuff with me. And we can reflect for a moment on the fact that Jesus is here with us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Through the joys, through the troubles, through the pain, through the hope, through the celebration. And as you're taking those communion elements, the ushers in the back, now (laughs) is when they're gonna come up. And please drop in your Connect card. Uh, Take a moment to fill that out. Drop in your Connect card or any offering you might have. Next step, number two. I encourage you to take a few moments to reflect this week. Reflect on how it could feel if certain things in your life could possibly be gone. I mean, sadness and grief over losing any of these things, that's normal, that's right, that's good. You should feel some degree of grief, right? But do you find that maybe that might mean a little bit more, that maybe those things might be filling a place in your life that God is meant to fill? Again, not to feel a sense of shame, but to say, God, I need need help. Help me surrender this to you. Help me trust you with this thing. Instead of trusting in my personal horses and chariots help me to trust you step three next step number three when you feel anxious or overwhelmed or scared this week because we all feel those things we feel anxious we feel overwhelmed stressed out we can take the nice vanilla version of just I'm just stressed out right first give yourself a little grace okay because I know God certainly does And I want you to ask God, I encourage you to ask God, in that moment where you're feeling stressed out, you're feeling worried, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling all the feels, and you're feeling all jittery inside, and you wanna jump out of your skin, just take a breath, take a nice long breath, and ask God, what is it about this situation that I'm not fully trusting you with yet? And ask him for his help. And he promised us, it's a promise. He said, he won't deny people that ask for help. He won't deny folks that ask for the Holy Spirit. He won't deny you. If you ask him for help, he is a happy, glad giver of every good and perfect gift. He will give you help. And finally, if, if there is anything in your life that you know you need a little bit of help trusting him with, and you want to get a little bit of extra help today, a little bit of extra support from this beautiful community that's surrounding you here, I encourage you to get prayer. We'll have folks praying here in the front, probably a couple in the back, or even the person next to you, right? But get prayer. We are a community. We are a family, right? And families stick together. I'm pretty sure that like Lilo and Stitch taught me that, or maybe Moana, or one of the 45 other Disney Pixar movies that I've seen. We're on to something, right? Families stick together. We we care for each other. So pray for one another, right? Um, We're happy to pray for you together. Let's spend a few more minutes in worship as we, we celebrate the one that we can put our trust in.